Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. Welcome and thank you for joining me. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. And today we're going to continue in our special Holy Week series, Passover Passion, The Reason for the Season, Volume 3. And today we're going to look at the topic of ardor. We've been in this series a few days. In the first lesson, we looked at Mary's anointing of Jesus for his burial on the night before he would be hailed as Messiah King. In the second lesson, we looked at that time that we call the triumphal entry, his arrival into Jerusalem as God chose his Passover lamb and revealed Messiah King from Daniel's prophetic word. In lesson three, we looked at the aching, how Jesus' heart broke as he wept over Jerusalem because they had rejected him and would not come and let him lead them in the way of peace as had been prophesied and how often he would have gathered them. It broke his heart because he knew the consequences they would now have to face because of their choice. So today we want to continue to move on moving through this final week and looking at his final week and pulling out some of the nuggets and gems from that. So today we're going to see one of the very next ways that Jesus fulfills more prophecies spoken of old about him and his coming as Messiah. We're going to consider the topic of ardor. Ardor means intense devotion, burning heat, fervency, intensity, or zeal. Let's see how this applies and was prophesied of Jesus, especially as he enters his final week before his death, burial, and resurrection. I want us to begin the reading in Matthew chapter 21, and I want to read verse 12 through 17. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now this is also found in Mark chapter 11 verse 15 through 17, and in Luke chapter 19. And I'd like to spend just a few more moments reading those passages as well. It's important when we're looking at things in the scriptures, if there's more than one account of that event, consider all of those accounts, because each one clarifies and brings more details into the picture. In Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 17, it says this, So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple 
and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold goats, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. Then we want to go to Luke chapter 19 and read verse 45 and 46. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So here we see an episode, an event that is happening at the end of Jesus' triumphal entry, where he has been hailed and venerated by the people as Israel's Messiah King with the messianic cry contained in Psalm 118, verse 26. We see also how he had ached over Jerusalem as he rode in, but now he enters the city and he goes to the temple. His response and his action here was full of ardor, even surprising many and raising some questions. Let's evaluate this and see what he did and why he did it. His actions after he entered the temple courtyard was that he drove out the money changers. Now, let's understand who the money changers were. People would come to Jerusalem for the three pilgrimage feasts, and sometimes they would come at other times. There were worshipers that were coming throughout the days for their sacrifices and for their worship in the temple, and particularly at the times of Passover season, Pentecost or Shavuot, and Tabernacles or Sukkot. Those were the three required annual feasts that all the Jews were to come to Jerusalem and worship in at the temple. Now, when they would come, sometimes they were either too poor, unable to bring their animals for sacrifice, etc. So there was an allowance for people to bring their money or exchange their crop and whatever for money, bring those things to the temple, and exchange them there in the temple for the animal sacrifices that they needed. God had provided for that. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, I want to read verse 24 and 25. It says this, But if the journey is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So there was an allowance for this exchange for the worshippers' tithes and offerings to be exchanged into money that they could then use to obtain their lambs, their doves, etc. The money changers, the fact that they were money changers, that act in itself was not wrong. The problem was, however, that they were overcharging and cheated the people. They did not have honest balances and honest weights, and they were cheating the people, and God was angry about it. Why? 
Well, let's see from the Torah why this was important. First, I want us to look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35 through 37. The Lord is commanding his people here, and he tells them, beginning in verse 35 of Leviticus chapter 19, you shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest pin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 25, in verse 13 through 16, it says this, You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord. And then in Proverbs chapter 20, let's read verses 10 and 11. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. So all of the Jews of that day should have known and been honoring the law, even in their business affairs, even in the exchanging of money. God had covered all of that in the Tanakh, in the Torah. He had told them, if you are cheating the people, you are using unjust weights, you are using differing weights, then you are an abomination. You are doing abominable deeds. Exchanging the money itself for the sacrifices and animals they needed was not the problem. The issue was their deception, their fraud, and their mistreating of the worshipers, which included fellow Jews, widows, and orphans. So their evil actions were an abomination to the Lord, having these unjust weights and balances overcharging and cheating the people. God was angry at his people for these abominations that were done in his house. They were done as if they were sanctioned and approved by him. And it brought dishonor to his name. These were abominations being done in his own house. So the Messiah comes to his temple suddenly, unexpectedly, quickly, in a moment, straightway, instantly, and surprisingly. I want us to read next in Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi 
and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of David. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? So in this act of ardor, Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy as well as many others. And I want us to read these quickly to see why and how Jesus acted as he did. First place I want us to go is another prophet. We're going to go to Habakkuk chapter 2. And I want to read verses 2 through 10. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city, and of all who dwell in it. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul. Let's read also Isaiah's words in the book of Isaiah, chapter 33, verse 14 through 16. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppressions. Who gestures with his hands refusing bribes. Who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him, and his water will be sure. In Ezekiel 22, verse 12 through 14, says this, In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord. Behold, therefore, 
I beat my fist at the dishonest profit which you have made and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure or can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Then in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 24 through 27, it says this, Therefore the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. So there's hope after repentance. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11 and 12 says this, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 22, verse 22, it says this, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. So these are the problems that caused Jesus to be righteously angry and to act in the ardor and zeal of the Lord in this matter when he drove out these money changers. Remember, God had allowed for the exchange of the money, but in that he was entrusting his people to remember he was the Lord, to honor him by not oppressing the people, by not cheating the people, by not extorting the people, and they were not obeying his commandments. They were committing these abominations. These were the problems that caused Jesus to act in the ardor of the Lord or in the zeal of the Lord. Even this act also was fulfilling a prophetic word from John the Baptist. If you'll remember in the Gospels, Jesus calls John the Baptist the last of the prophets, that he was in fact a prophet as well as the priest, if you will, bringing baptism unto repentance, preparing the way of the Lord as the messenger that Malachi had prophesied about, who would come before the Lord and announce him and identify him to the people of Israel. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 through 12, it says this, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers who warn beautifully from the wrath to come. Therefore, bring fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This spoke of the tree not bearing fruit upon analysis and its end. How Jesus Messiah is this one that would come after him fulfilling Malachi 3. Who will do the analyzing of the fig tree? John prophesied and said the axe is laid to the root of it. Cut down what is not bearing fruit. Purge the threshing floor. What did he mean by that? Well, we have to remember what was the threshing floor he was talking about. It was the temple mount. It was the temple compound. It was Mount Moriah. How do we know that? If we go to Second Samuel chapter 24, First Chronicles chapter 21, and Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we find out how David bought the temple mount, Mount Moriah, which was the threshing floor of Arunah, and he devoted it to the Lord. He bought it to sacrifice unto the Lord. He bought it that it would become the altar of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He bought it and devoted it to the Lord. Let's see one scripture that tells us that in Leviticus chapter 27. I want to read a few verses out of Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus chapter 27 is talking about if someone wants to dedicate or devote something to the Lord. And it goes through various parts of things and various types of things that can be devoted to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 27, let's read first verse 16. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. All right, then let's go down to verse 20 and read verse 20 through 23. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priest. And if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. And then in verse 28, Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or the field of his possession shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. So David is fulfilling this in the sense of purchasing this property for the money that he paid Arona, the 50 shekels of silver. He is devoting this to the Lord. It became the temple mount, Mount Moriah. It's the same place where Solomon built the first temple in that exact spot, on that threshing floor. 
It is the Temple Mount, and we read that in those passages in Chronicles and Samuel that I mentioned. It is the Temple Mount. It is Mount Moriah. So Jesus is also fulfilling John the Baptist's prophecy. John was the last of the prophets, and Jesus is now coming and purging thoroughly, cleansing thoroughly his threshing floor, his father's house. He is purging that threshing floor, the temple mount, his father's house. He, Messiah, has been sent by God as the analyzer, as the assayer, as the one with the ardor, the zeal of God to do this, to righteously deal with these issues. In Jeremiah chapter 6, in verse 26 through 30, it says this, O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. I have set you, now this is as the Lord speaking, to his messenger, to his Messiah. I have set you as an assayer and a fortress among my people that you may know and test their way. They are all stubborn rebels, walking as slanderers. They are bronze and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain. For the wicked are not drawn off. People will call them rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. And then Malachi chapter 3, we read it earlier. So this Messiah is coming as the analyzer, full of the zeal of the Lord of hosts, full of the ardor of the Lord. And there's one final thing we need to understand about this episode. He is full of the zeal of the Lord for his people and for righteousness, also because of who he is. He is El Hanah, the jealous God. Now, I dealt with this in much more detail in a message I did in the past. It's in the archives called The Zeal of Jesus. And you can certainly reference that if you like. But for today, let's look at a few points. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. It says this, talking about having no other gods before the Lord, no graven images, no false worship of any kind. Says in verse 5, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. El Hanah, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And then in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, also in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, whose name is Kanah, is a jealous God. He is El Kanah. We also read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says this, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. So we see God 
in the person of Jesus Christ, Elkanah, the jealous God, thoroughly purging his threshing floor in this act of ardor because of who he is and because of the abominations they have done. We also see how this fulfills the prophetic word from Psalm chapter 69. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. This is speaking of the Messiah, the zeal or the ardor of the Lord, that jealousy, that zealousness because of who he is and because of the abominations they have done ate him up, it consumed him. We have to understand this as his final week was not just the first time. This was not the first time he did this. This was the second time he had acted in the ardor of the Lord. John chapter 2 gives us the first one. It was the same kind of experience. He had gone in and he had overturned the money changers' tables and so forth because this was early in his ministry and he had come on the scene and seeing the abominations they were doing. And because of who he was, he had done this. He had warned them then. He took it seriously then. He gave them the first time for them to learn, repent, and change. But now, at the end of his earthly ministry, they had not repented. They had not changed. They were still doing the same abominations. So Jesus drove them out this final week of his ministry. And I want to read a few more things as we draw to a close. Also, I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7, where he speaks about his father's house. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So there is this promise and this declaration from God himself that this is his house. And his house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And then we want to see this. This is why Jesus had to execute this act of ardor and judgment to drive them out. From his father's house. I want to read Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, 
commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place, which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. This is why Jesus had to execute this act of order and judgment, driving them from his father's house because of its holiness, because of its sacredness. Jesus came on the scene and let them know, we're not playing games. You've had time to repent, and now because you've not repented, this temple that you put your trust in will be destroyed. And it's because of your abominations. He had warned them before. They had no excuse. Now God was angry, and the judgment had been decreed upon this temple, which would happen only about 40 years later. God is serious about righteousness. He is serious about the treatment of others being done in his name and as his representative. And so God was on the move. Jesus was consumed with the ardor, the zeal of the Lord, and now was his time to act. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for more of these messages in our Passover Passion Volume 3 series as we look at the final week of Jesus and see the prophecies that were fulfilled. Praise be to the Lord. Thank you, and I pray God blesses you today. In Jesus' name, amen.